Welcome to Money Making Conversations. I am your host, Rashawn McDonald. I say this every week. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. I always tell people who talk about passions and gifts, lead with your gifts. And don't let your age, friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dreams. My interviews on Money Making Conversations are with consumers and business owners. Includes gift. I give you access, I like to believe, to celebrities, CEOs, entrepreneurs, and people I like to call industry decision makers. My next guest is Bajai. He's an activist and founder of Legal Equalizer, a mobile app that allows users to capture police encounters after being pulled over, automatically notify loved ones in real time, provide information on legal rights involving that encounter, and receive legal advice at the same at, on the scene, which is really important nowadays. It contains laws for all 50 states, allows you to record or go live with someone. Bai is originally from Gambia, West Africa, and moved to the U.S. in 1990 when he was just nine years old. Since living in the U.S., Bai has dedicated countless hours to helping others, including volunteering at homeless shelters and the local churches, as well as helping with the Fair Fight and New Georgia projects. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations for the first time. I love what he represents. He's a techie, but a legal, a game changer, I like to say. Please welcome to Money Making Conversations, Bai Job. Hello, how you doing? Pretty good, my friend. I appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Uh, where are you? So you're based in Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, I actually just recently moved. I uh, moved this weekend to Davidson, North Carolina, um, which is my alma mater. Uh-huh. Um, so the school uh, gave me a grant to come up here and work on the app with some students and have the students learn how to be entrepreneurs and help them with that. So I just moved up to North Carolina, right north of Charlotte. But I'm normally in Atlanta. That's home. Well, I, I'm very familiar with uh, the Queen City. That's what the... Uh, that's what Charlotte, North Carolina is called, uh, good food, good people. But you're back in Atlanta, and there's good food and good people here, too. And you have an app. So when one says say the word app or somebody who engaged in developing an app, the word techie comes up. Uh, do you have a tech background? I do not. That's the funny thing. I have no background in tech at all. So I've had to get people that could code and do all of that stuff to get the app done for me. Now, why was it important to create this app? Because I read the bio, kind of like with uh, the incident in St. In, uh, St. Louis, and going the young man, lose Michael Brown at the time. That that it was did it infuriate you? Did it angry? Did it make you angry? Did it make you feel helpless? What led to that? What were the emotions that was running through your your mind and your body at the time? Um, it was a combination of a bunch of things for us. So um, it was that, you know, I was angry, um, nervous, um, sad. You feel helpless. Um, and for me during that time, Mike Brown and the, and the subsequent incidents afterwards, what really got me was that feeling also of always when anything happened, it was always going to be um, what did they do wrong? What did this person do wrong? Instead of, you know, asking, OK, what? where's the video? Where's the um, Where's the proof of what happened? So I really got tired of every time we saw a young unarmed black person get shot, get beaten up, get anything happen to them. Mm-hmm. It was always going back to check on their past to see, hey, how did they escalate the situation? Rather than asking, okay, what did the officer who has the power, what could they have done to de-escalate that situation? How could they have moved differently? So that was really the feeling. And it's just that frustration of over and over and the cycle that's happened over and over again. Um, you know, since I have came here as a seven-year-old kid from Gambia, you know, I can name you countless names from Rodney King, you know, that was a year after I got here. <laughs> right. To, you know, Sean Bell, to Oscar Grant, 
to Amadou Diallo mm -hmm. to, you know, so we can just keep going names after name after name of this happening consistently. So when Mike Brown happened, it was just after that time, I was like, I'm fed up. And for me personally, I've been stopped so many times. I've been stopped 150, 120 plus times in my life. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, the, so you feel that you basically have been stopped for being black. As they say, yeah. you, know, you know, the police stopping you because you're black. I know I've been stopped uh, and I have cars. That, so why are you stopping me? You know, and it, it makes you feel defenseless to talk about walk us through the steps. of because as an African-American male, especially, we all have different experiences. We all look at the police differently. I know myself when the police stopped me is I the, the number one question is, OK, fear. Fear goes through my, my mind, you know, fear and the. Okay, um, how do I get away from this? I'm just talking about my side of the story, by uh, how do I make sure I leave this moment alive? That's really crazy. I'm talking like this. I'm an educated man. I'm a successful man. I, I live in a an upper up up in the upper tier neighborhood. I drive upper tier cars, uh, and so. But here I am being stopped, and just recently I was stopped in Atlanta in Duluth, and. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, when he pulled me over, uh, you know, I put the, did the tent to, made sure my hands were on the steering wheel. I uh, asked him, he asked me for my, uh, my my auto insurance. I said, do you mind? I got to reach over here and look into my glove compartment. And he said, fine. I did that. It was no sudden rush to go over there because I don't know how he's going to react. That is my experience. And, of course, eventually I was allowed to move on. The second time I was cop stopped. I was in a vehicle, and the, that, that officer was white. The other officer, black. He talking about uh, my type of vehicle was in a hit-and-run accident. Of course, I didn't have a dent on my car. Why are you stopping me, brother? I don't have, you can just walk around this. What, what, did you not say hit-and-run? Of course, I didn't have attitude. I'm trying to get away tonight by, okay? Right. <laughs> right, but, right. But you did say hit-and-run, though, okay? I said, can you look around my vehicle and see any damage? Walked around, y'all don't see anything. I said, can I go? Oh, yeah, you can go. You can go. You can go. But these are the type of things that people of color, especially African-American men, uh, have to deal with. Tell us some of your experiences and what runs through your head by when you're stopped by the police, black or white police oh, officer. You, you explained a lot of it. It's, you know, I tell people all the time, I've never been to war, but I kind of understand when soldiers talk about how PTSD feels like. I was saying... It's a lot of the same experiences that you have. You described exactly what I've been through. Right. Um, it's that PTSD feeling of your hands start sweating. You get nervous. You know you've done nothing wrong. And you're still wondering, are they going to put those lights on? Are they going to pull me over? If they do pull me over, what are they going to pull me over for? What kind of excuse is it? So I've had everything. Well, I've been pulled over from, um, like I said, the first time when I was 12 years old on an academic team trip in South Georgia. Mm -hmm. My team was predominantly a bunch of black kids. We had a few white kids on there. Mm -hmm. And then the other middle schools there were almost all black. And we were outside playing cards outside the hotel. And they came there and they told us that, oh, yeah, there was a robbery here in the area. And you guys fit the description of the <laughs> robber. Come to find out, it was a 29-year-old person that was like 6'5", 230, 240 pounds. Right. And here we are, a bunch of middle school kids, nobody <laughs> taller than 5'6", right. nobody weighing more than 150 pounds soaking wet. Right. And so, you know, it's that I've been pulled over for wearing my seatbelt the wrong way, he said. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I asked him, how, how do I wear my seatbelt the wrong way? Um, I've been stopped 
for being in my own neighborhood countless times, just like you said, people, well, you know, we don't have any black people living in this neighborhood. What are you doing here? Right. And you right. show them your ID and it's like, oh, you do live here. Mm-hmm. And actually the impetus that got me to get the app started, what got me going, honestly, was three months after Mike Brown, that December, it was 2014. Um, I had I got pulled over three times in about a week and a half time frame by DeKalb County PD. The first time the officer pulled me over, literally he told me, asked me what I was doing in my own neighborhood when I saw, showed him my ID. It was, oh, you do live here. Right. Okay, I'm sorry, you're free to go. And right. so the second time I got pulled over, it's the only time that a judge has ever apologized to me in court. The officer printed on the ticket that I was at a stop sign for three seconds and not for five seconds. And so when I went to court, that judge looked at it and literally asked officer, did you have a stopwatch? Were you on your you know, phone timing it? Like, how'd you know it was three, not four, not five? And so he was like, I'm sorry for wasting time. You're free to go. And the third time I got stopped is really what got the impetus to get the app going. Because like I said, I've been thinking about it for a while, but hadn't made the move. And this was times like, okay, now we have to make this move. And so this time... Um, I was headed to work. It was December 12th, 2014. Right. Heading to work. And at that time, I was working for insurance. I was selling insurance at Allstate. And like I said, I'd just been pulled over twice in the previous nine days by that same department. Officer gets behind me. And so I don't think any of it. I drive a mile. He's still behind me. I switch lanes. He switches lanes behind me. I switch another lane. He goes behind me. I'm like, okay, he's about to pull me over. Finally cuts his lights on, pulls me over gets over there and I'm like wondering why I got stopped because I'm like, Hey, I know I have my insurance is good. I just got pulled over. I had the other tickets. There was nothing else going on. Right. So he pulls me over. He tells me, Oh, there's a warrant for your arrest. Wow. And I told him, no, there's not. And he was like, how are you so sure? I was like, I literally got pulled by your same department two times in the past week mm-hmm. and a half. And none, none of them mentioned the warrant for my arrest. So then his attempt to get around that was then telling me, well, maybe the systems were down. And when he told me that, I showed him the ticket I got from the same department before and said, well, sir, if the systems were down last week, how was he able to print out a ticket? It's not a handwritten ticket. This is a printed ticket he gave me. Right. So how was the system able to print this ticket but not tell him I had a warrant for my arrest? And so had he gone back to the car and let me chill to check on that, there probably wouldn't even be an app right now. But instead of doing that, he said, well, while I check on this warrant for my safety, I'm going to have to put you in handcuffs and put you in the back seat of my car. Wow. So he cuffed me, sat me in the back of his car for what seemed like 10 to 15 minutes. While instead of calling in that warrant, he was in, he was then I watched him walking around my car with a flashlight trying to see if he could find something in there. Right. And he gets done and comes back. He was like, Oh, it's an invalid warrant. You're free to go. So I asked him, well, where's the warrant from? Um, what county, what, what state. And he's like, well, well, you know, um, this is invaluable. I have to arrest. So I got his badge number. I got his name. And my mom and I went and made a complaint the next day. It's the only time I've made a complaint to the police department. I could have had a lot more, but you know, it was at that time, like I was just fed up. And so made a complaint. They say he did nothing wrong, do something about it. So when I started the app, it wasn't even to start a business. It wasn't to make money. It wasn't anything more so than, Hey, if I get pulled over, I want my mom, I wanted my girlfriend at the time to know where I was. I wanted to know my best friends to know where I was. And I wanted a video if anything happened so people could not argue about, hey, what did he do wrong? And so literally that's what started the whole process of getting it was that stop of him not letting me call my job, not letting me call my mom, and him basically profiling me 
and pulling me over for no reason. It was like, you're free to go. Because I told him I felt like one of those fish in those catch and release ponds. Right, right, like, right. you're going to catch me, at least eat me. Don't just waste my time. <laughs> so so, so that, that's what got the impetus to start thinking about creating something to start protecting people when they got stopped. Let me ask you this, because I've never been uh, handcuffed. I've never been seated in the back of a police car. What was running through your mind when that happened? It's, uh, it's, it was, for me, it was just dehumanizing. That's what it was. It was, I know here I am, I'm a grown man who hasn't done anything wrong, who has been fine and, you know, I'm like, got no criminal records or anything like that. And I can't do anything about that. You know, if I fight you, if I do anything, you have the license to shoot and kill me. So all I have is just to sit here and take it. And hopefully it comes out like it did where it says what you're accusing me of is completely false and I'm free to go. So honestly, that's like the last time I actually like had a heavy, heavy cry, you know, was because after I just felt like you weren't a man, you weren't even a human anymore. And it, it was just a de- dehumanizing feeling to know that you've done nothing wrong and to have those handcuffs put on you sitting in the back of that car and just wondering, hey, is he going to make up something? And for me, I'm thinking, what if he plants something in my car and says now, oh, I found all these drugs. or I found this gun or something like that. And then what? am I going to have to do next? Do I have legal recourse? What do I have to do there? So those are all the things I think about sitting in the back of that car is, okay, how can I contact my mother? How can I contact my brother? How can I contact my girlfriend? Like, how can I let my best friends know? Just different things like that is what what ran through my mind that whole time. Well, you know, the thing that when I'm talking to Bajai, he's the activist and founder of Legal Equalizer, a mobile app that allows users to capture police encounters after being pulled over, automatically notifying loved ones in real time, provide information on legal rights involving that encounter, and receive legal advice at the scene. It contains laws for all 50 states. Now, when you when you when you start an app like this, the first thing people go, how can you how could how does it work? I'm trying to get into your head now and develop a legal equalizer. You know, like I say, all ideas start out of a frustration. All ideas start from trying to make life easier or much more or less complicated. In this case, this is a this is a social activist app. I would like to believe, uh, from a standpoint of. It can physically protect you, can keep you, uh, protect your rights, and also educate you about your rights on the spot. Now, is it, okay, so walk me through how it would actually work if a police officer, because this is a video as well, how would it work if some, I'm sitting there, do I hold my phone up and he sees me holding the phone up? How does it work? Bye. So now we know in Georgia and most states, you can't have your phone in your hand. You have to have some kind of stand up there for it to be hands-free. Yes, sir. And so we have the app there. And so we can do a couple of ways. So if you get pulled over, so when you first log into the app, what happens is you go through the um, login process and it asks you for access to your contacts. Mm -hmm. When you get there, you're going to pick at least five people um, that you trust, friends, family, or whoever. And those are your emergency contacts. Now, within the app, we have laws for all 50 states, rights and things that you can do and all that stuff. We don't want you doing that when you get pulled over. That's a little bit too late for that. We want people to get educated (laughs) before on that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So now if you see those lights get pulled over, you can do one of two things. You can say, hey, you know, you say Siri, activate legal equalizer. Hey, Google, activate legal equalizer, open legal equalizer, open up the app. You can do it by voice. Mm -hmm. Or you can just open up with your hands. So the app now opens up. Within... Two seconds, you can hit that button that says, I need help for. And the list comes out. It says, I need help for police stop, general emergency, domestic violence situation, immigration ICE, 
active shooter. So you put, I need help for police stop, and you hit that send, and it sends those people to Texas says, hey, I've been stopped by the police. My location is, and it gives them your exact location. Mm-hmm. If you don't hear from me in the next 30 minutes, please call the police department in this area. And it also has a Google pinpoint map there. So within five seconds, those people already have that text message, know you've been stopped. Now, you then have whatever your choice is next. You can either now choose to record that encounter, and we're going to have that recording saved onto the phone, or what we're having in this new release, which we've been testing out this morning and this past week, you can now hit a live video option. And those people are going to get a notification you have a live video. And just like we're talking now, by the time that police co- that police officer comes to your door, you're going to have those people on your phone looking right back at them, and the officer is going to be able to see them. So it's going to be looking like you have eyewitnesses, and they can record right, that encounter right. in real time. Look over and in a few months, five people we're staring about, at you. And in a few, a few months, what we're about to do is we're about to then have it where you can then find an attorney in that area and pay an attorney what would be a fraction of the cost or cheaper than your ticket and have the attorney then join that call in real time and listen to why you guys stop and tell you what to do and give you that real-time legal advice. And so that's how the app works. Very simple. All that can be done within 20, 25 seconds, and you can just be chilling until wait for the officer to come to your door. Well, I, I, I love the fact that... Uh... First of all, using your voice, because that's what I do when I get in my vehicle, I'd say navigate to or call somebody. That really simplifies the process for sure. And so, but when you when you develop something like this, were there naysayers that uh, by job that, that really came into your lane of going, first of all, you go, you got this. Why? The big why. Then you got this, that's unnecessary. And that's okay. Who are you? You've never done anything like that. Were those some of the statements that came your way by when you were trying to put together the legal equalizer? Um, it was that. It was that, you know, I'm being anti-police. Right. Um, it was, you know, you don't know what you're doing. I'm not a lawyer. So I was like, you don't know the law. You don't know any of that stuff. <laughs> right. Why would you use this? Why can't I do that? It's, well, the officers might shoot somebody for using your app. And so I just have to talk people through common sense, right? And I tell them, if if somebody has my uh, the phone out and they have it out, you think the officer is going to shoot them because they have my app open? Right. I was like, that's not the issue. <laughs> if, if the officer shoots somebody because of their phone, we have a bigger issue than whatever's on their phone. Right, right, right. And right. we need to go back to that root cause. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so it's been, you know, and like I said, when I started, I don't know how to code still. I don't know how to code. I don't know how to build. I had to ask people. And, right. I've, and my whole time, I've had nothing but black coders as well to come help build me with this. Mm-hmm. So I used to work at Apple. The, you know, in the store, the business team making sales. So when I got done, I was like, somebody in this store got to know somebody that can code. So I asked them and I had somebody that built my very first version of that app. And we need to upgrade. And I had to go ask somebody else that I knew in tech in Atlanta and was like, hey, Rodney, can you find me somebody that can code? Because my old coder can't do the things I need to get done. And now we have somebody that's been here for three, four years and knows what to do, knows the vision and can code and build that stuff out as well. Here's the interesting thing, because you know you need help from the community, you need help from the society, and you definitely need help from politicians when you're trying to do anything like this, because some people can throw the word controversial, uh, put the word council culture, uh, claim that you're anti-blue, you uh, you want to defund the police. But what are some of the things, or three things at least, that the community, the society in general can do, especially politicians can do to help you address the root of the problems that you are trying to solve with the legal equalizer? Um, Well, politicians can do a lot to start with. For one, I completely disagree with qualified immunity. I think they need to get rid of that. 
Mm-hmm. Because like I tell police officers, if you're a good police officer and you're doing your job, you ain't got to worry about getting sued. Mm-hmm. But right now, they can beat you up. They can shoot you. They can stab you. They can do whatever to you. And technically, you cannot sue that individual officer just because of that job. So I ask them all the time, would you go to a doctor that can just do whatever and you can sue them if they messed up? Right. You probably ask why. And so it's that same issue with qualified immunity. It's one issue I have with policing. The second issue I have, the politicians, I think, well, and, and policing is local as well. So that's another thing we need to talk about. It's not, you know, federal and all that. And so the another thing we can do with policing as well is also in terms of the hiring and looking at the quality of officers we're hiring. The fact that, you know, somebody can go six months of training and now be licensed to kill somebody. When you have attorneys have to go to law school, you have other people have to go to all kinds of training to get that. And so personally, I told police officers if I was in charge, I would cut the police departments by a lot, but I would pay the officers there a lot more. And I'd give those guys a lot more money and a lot more resources. Because when you look at crimes right now, they don't solve the majority of crimes. Right. The most crimes go completely unsolved. When you look at how many thousands of hundreds of thousands of rape kits we have that aren't even checked right now. Mm-hmm. So they're not worrying or handling murders are going unsolved. And so we're not giving them those resources. We have officers that we paying money to just do traffic stuff. Right. To basically sit on the highway and see if you're speeding. Right. And do all that stuff rather than actually dealing with the real issues in society and stuff. Um, a third thing I think we do is um, deal with those police union contracts. Because those contracts are what gives them that qualified immunity. They're what gives them the right to do a lot of this stuff. They're what, like in Georgia, until a few years ago, if an officer killed somebody, they were able to sit in that grand jury room and testify, but they couldn't even get cross-examined. Right. And so imagine that. You're sitting there, okay, I can hear his side of the story. I can't ask him any questions or anything like that, which is why we didn't have many officers even indicted. And so, and these were all deals that were made by these unions or by these organizations, police groups that come here and they'll defend any officer or anything wrong, right, or whatever. And I like I said, I can keep going like with these things. You know, another thing I was hoping for with officers is that make the officers live in the neighborhoods they work. Right. Too many times we have officers that live 30, 45 minutes away and drive into the inner city and drive to other places. They'll know nobody there. And they assume things about these people and they use assumptions to work, do that, rather than policing their own neighborhoods, rather than knowing, hey, that's Johnny over there. Johnny has had multiple personality disorder. The whole neighborhood knows this. Instead of coming hey, with a gun, let's call somebody to talk Johnny down and work with that. Right. You know, that's Mm -hmm. Jim over there. You know, Jim has a drinking problem. You know, he'll get drunk and he'll do this. But instead of getting roughed up with Jim, we can take him here, let him sober down. We know that his mama lives over there. You know, we know his dad, his girlfriend, like it's things like that we can do. So it's common sense things we can do to help improve policing and make it simpler. But anytime you want to make those suggestions that you're anti-police, you're this and that. And even when we talk about the defunding the police, it's not defunding the police. I tell them people use the wrong term there. You just call it reallocating your money, reallocating your funds, because all that does is, for instance, Atlanta. If we don't spend 40% of our city budget on policing, we can spend 30% of our city budget on policing. Take that extra 10%, put it back in the inner city neighborhoods, build grocery stores there to have healthy food instead of having junk stuff there. Mm -hmm. That gives people jobs. Right, right. You know, give people opportunities in those areas where now, okay, we got people constructing this grocery store. We got people working this grocery store. We need managers here. These kids can come here and be cashiers. Oh, now they're not out here doing the water boy stuff. They're not committing crimes because we've invested that money back into the community. 
And now all these so-called crimes that's going wild, oh, a lot of that has been solved because the roots of that crime, the, the root cause of those crimes are now being solved. Right. And so these are some of the things I wish politicians and our leaders would think about more and advent more when it comes to, you know, criminal justice and public safety. Hey, Baja, you know, I, I, I got my show is going to go live on uh, WCLK uh, starting September 7th. I want to bring you back. It's for Atlanta because what you're talking about, you know, it's, it's, it's gone beyond the legal equalizer app, which is a fantastic reason I brought you on. But the whole concept, especially when you hit the water boys and that, that goes into your volunteering at the homeless shelters and local churches and mm-hmm. helping people in the fair fight and New Georgia Project Organization. I want to bring you back, really talk about that, because I think that's one of the reasons why I want to take my show live. I want to be able to take phone calls. I want people to hear people like you have that passion. I'm not trying to turn it into a militant conversation, but I want to talk, create a conversation. And a lot of times the conversation is not created with the right information. And that's what angers me the most about the media today, because they they fund the bad information. They promote yep. the bad information. And the classic example is that when, when Cuomo's brother doesn't even mention him in the news, and he's the headline news every day. Mm-hmm. Okay, you mean you can pick and choose news now? That's how we're doing news now? You don't have to talk about your brother? Even when he retired, you need to, when he resigned, you need to talk about him? So that mm-hmm. lets me know that news in general does not give us the right message. So, but I want to thank you for coming on the show. Talk about the legal equalizer. Uh, it's a downloadable app. I'm sure you can get it on the Google Play Store. Yep, Google Play Store and iTunes. They're both free. They're both free. Again, brother, appreciate you. Uh, again, I'm gonna be. You'll be hearing from me again. Bye. In regards to coming back on the show, like start September seventh, every Tuesday, six to seven p.m. Sit down, talk. You can come in studio. We can do it on call. It doesn't have to be a Zoom call. It can just be a regular call. Or you can come in studio. We can sit down and chat. But you are a brother. I want to stay in touch with you. Thank you so much. Definitely, definitely. I appreciate you for coming on my show. Uh, again, money making conversation can be seen live. Uh, excuse me. Again, money making conversation can be seen or heard on moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host.